It's time to talk about Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. And now, here's Ira. My guest is comedian Adam Hunter, who is headlining in the Laugh Factory at the Tropicana Las Vegas, February 18th through the 21st. For ticket information, go to troplv.com. And for everything about Adam Hunter, go to adamhunter.com. And you can follow him on Twitter at adamcomedian and at mmaroasted, as well as on Instagram at adamcomedian. Adam, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. Adam, you have a lifelong love for both combat sports and you've been doing stand-up comedy for 20 plus years. So I'm just thinking after a performance, when you say you killed an audience, you don't mean that literally. Oh, no, thank God. No. No. Uh, <laughs> although I did have one person, actually, I did a show uh, in Vegas, actually, and the person like had like a seizure during the show. And I was like, wow, I, I guess I really killed tonight. And it, but the person was okay, thank God. But the paramedics came in during the show it was like, they called the cops. It was like 15 cops came in. And I was like, oh, who invited the male strippers? It, <laughs> it just kept getting more and more ridiculous. So yeah, that actually, oh, I almost did kill somebody. But, uh, but uh, I, thankfully I, the guy was okay. <laughs> and I didn't even know that asking the question. That was funny. I was just trying to be a little humorous, but that's a great story. Did the audience, oh, I don't know. Did they feel that your remark about the, the male strippers coming in, was that a little over the top? or did They were they laughing, it? the cops not so much. Yeah, um, I imagine not. But no. the audience was laughing. It was like, it was late, and I think people were concerned, but the person who passed out put their thumb up, like they were okay. Oh, excellent, you know? excellent. So that was, that kind of was a saving grace. But yeah, that was, uh, I've never actually... I'm like, man, yeah, how was the crowd? Oh, man, I really put them to sleep. I mean, it was just, I just kept <laughs> doing one after another. You know, or, uh, man, I didn't die, but the crowd did. I mean, it was just one after another that night. So. <laughs> I could imagine if you were, if you're thinking at that point, you should have followed the guy to the hospital, maybe get a little quote from him for a promo reel where he said, I almost died <laughs> laughing at Adam <laughs> or something yeah, like that. I should have, right? Yeah, looking back, it probably wouldn't have been a good idea. Now, I want to tie in the MMA with... In the beginning, I tied in the MMA with your comedy, and we'll talk about that as well. But be, even before the MMA, you were a wrestler in New England, right? A champ, four-time champion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. High school wrestling was my life. I was, I was obsessed with it. All I wanted to do was, was wrestle. I ended up winning the, uh, the prep school in New England four years in a row, and then I wrestled a little bit in college. I've always had a huge affinity for the sport. It saved my life, and I actually coach wrestling out here. I started a wrestling program for middle school kids. And, um, I coached there and I started a high school program too. It's, it's always been, a, it's been a huge inspiration. And I have a TV show called pinned about a, um, struggling comedian who becomes a wrestling coach. It's like loosely based in my life. Not, I'm not as struggling as I was when I wrote it, but I'm actually trying to tell that right now. Yeah. And you can find out more about it by going to adamhunter.com. You mentioned earlier on there about that. It saved your life in what way? And what was the reason for that? Uh, just in high school, I had a lot of misdirected, energy i was acting out as a kid i was just not in a really great place and you know wrestling just sort of physically just exhausts you and mentally exhausts you and and it's also you work as hard as you want it to be so i found a sport that i was actually really good at because the more effort you put in the better you you are so i just kind of was and it was a good way to kind of unleash some of my anger problems my, my mother left when i was a kid when i was three i haven't seen her since my father was 
a recovering addict. Um, I didn't really have the best parental supervision growing up. Uh, I, have a, I have a great father who I love, and he's, he's an amazing person, and we're still really close. But at the time, I definitely needed like an outlet, and wrestling gave me that outlet. You could tell you have a lot of energy on stage, and I would think that that's part of that, that energy you talked about getting misdirected when you were in school. What was the reason that you ended up with wrestling? Was there a mentor, or was there a coach or a counselor that directed you to wrestling? Yeah, I had a great coach in high school. who was sort of like a, a father figure to me. But I just always loved it. I loved, I loved WWE wrestling. I always thought that was like the coolest thing ever. And actually, the first time I went to wrestling practice, like legit wrestling, I didn't know that you couldn't do those moves. So I put the kid like on a camel clutch. And then my like coach flipped out because if you can't do that, you can't, you know, I, I brought my own manager. Um, <laughs> and then I realized quickly that you weren't allowed to do that in the actual wrestling. But, uh, but it was, I mean, it's just a, it's an amazing sport. It's a brilliant sport. And I think it teaches character, but it also teaches you to persevere and tenacity and to, and to not give up on yourself, which is really important, especially in comedy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And you've been tenacious in terms of comedy. We'll talk about that as well. well. One thing about wrestling, some people that played football in high school or perhaps professional football in later years start to feel the aches and pains. When you're a wrestler, even if it's not professional, if you're a wrestler in, in high school, do you later on feel aches and pains or is it, it's a different kind of situation with wrestling? Yeah, versus? no, no, I definitely, I mean, I definitely have, I, I definitely have like, you know, some back issues and neck issues. I tore my ACL later on, later on and doing jujitsu. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm 42. I definitely, you know, I, I try going, you know, rolling around with some UFC guys and, and uh, I just, <laughs> they say like your speed is the first thing to go. And speed was what I counted on when I was younger. So I couldn't, I could see the moves happening. I just couldn't actually do them. Right. You couldn't um, react to anything too that quickly. Yeah. So yeah, definitely. Um, I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, I have, I have cauliflower ear, which as a, in high school, you know, that's not exactly what you want. My ear used to turn purple. The only girls that really were into it were like gothic girls. <laughs> and I remember, I remember kids used to call me broccoli head. And then I had like ringworm on my head and ringworm on my back. And I have a missing tooth. Uh, I got my tooth knocked out, which actually I did a show in Oklahoma. Uh, luck, and my tooth got knocked out because I have a fake tooth in and from wrestling. Uh, luckily, I, I like fit in great because I had a missing <laughs> tooth. And I actually went on a date that night and I... I scored the quickest I've ever scored in my life with this girl because I think I, I didn't talk because I was afraid to open my mouth, which goes to show you how many dates I probably would have done better on if I just didn't, didn't talk half the time. <laughs> so, she, she actually thought you were listening you know, to her, it, right? Yeah, I was listening and actually like, you know, paying attention. Exactly. <laughs> you could have also said you were a hockey player and that would have fit in right, you know, in terms of the team. Uh, 100%, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's an, a great story. Your connection with MMA is interesting, too, because you do roasts, and I don't know that many comedians that would have the nerve or the courage, it's probably a better term, the courage to do roasts of any MMA fighters, especially as you mentioned, your reflexes are not as fast as they were earlier on in life. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like stupidity. (laughs) Yeah, I actually just shot a, a a special for UFC Fight Pass, Dana White and the UFC produced. I was the first comic ever to have a special on UFC Fight Pass, uh, which was a pretty cool badge of honor. I, you know, I wrote for the MMA awards. I still write for them for the past 14 years. And also I worked for the UFC. They hired me to roast fighters for, you make these videos and I worked for the PSL. I just, 
I have a podcast called MMA Roasted where I, I interview fighters, and I, I just love it. I just love the sport. I love the people. I love everyone involved. I, I just, it's like these guys are heroes of mine, and I get to actually, you know, have a connection with them, which is, which is pretty badass. Can they feel the love coming from you even when you're insulting them? Yeah, I mean, the more friendly I, I get with them, the, like, the more I check with them, hey, man, is it okay if I write this joke? You know, so sometimes I'll like text them beforehand. For the most part, I do. I like if I know the person well and if I want them to keep coming back on my podcast, doing me, you know. Um, but they know it's coming from a good place. Although, you know, I, I don't get personal. I, I kind of I don't make fun of people when they lose. I don't, I I have certain goals and expectations that I personally have to make sure that I don't cross the line, and I still manage to cross it. So. Well, I would think it too that they're aware that it's being sanctioned by MMA and and Dana White, so, uh, right? It, it was at one point. No, that was the thing that the UFC told me not to tell anybody. Oh, that was interesting. For them. Okay, so, yeah, that was even that was even I felt even even, even safer. <laughs> yeah, so it kind of really was. <laughs> it was sort of this is a long time ago. Not anymore. Not anymore. I don't. I don't. I, I, now they're just producing special. Right. I would. And I, and I, and I so, so you're telling me you're the only comedian who has appeared on a roast that has a bodyguard with them. I don't. I, I well, who can't afford a bodyguard, but should have three actually. Amazing. So. Amazing. <laughs> I was thinking about the wrestling and the fact that you're into comedy and comedian comes to mind, Andy Kaufman, because he used to do a little bit of wrestling. But I, did you ever think of incorporating wrestling with your stand-up act? No, that's just too much. That's too involved. I mean, Andy Kaufman also, he, that was a different kind of wrestling. He was wrestling girls in the WWE and doing like Jerry Lawler spoofs. That was really funny. Right, that's not right. really kind of what it was, not really what I do. But that, I have nothing but respect and admiration for that. That was pretty classic. Right. No, I just thought you might take the idea and work it a different way with your own approach. That's why I asked. I'm not doing enough, really. Now you have to be right <laughs> Come on, man. That's funny. The wrestling part, and I want to talk in part two about your appearance on season six of Last Comic Standing. But at somewhere along the line, and I don't know where it was, so you'll have to tell us. Was it in high school or afterward that you decided to go into the world of stand-up comedy? I was in college. I had a talk show called These Nuts where I quit the wrestling team and I had all this energy. And I'm like, I used to prank call the show. I'm like, I'll get my own show. It was a closed circuit show. It was like only on campus. And where I interviewed like fighters and interviewed, had like Budweiser model and fraternity people and sorority. Anyway, this girl came on and was like telling me that I sweater this night. You can call in. And everyone started calling in about this girl saying that they like, she stole their jeans and just, it became like a Jerry Springer show. And this guy said, you hook up with me and, uh, or you wouldn't hook up with me. And she's like, well, you're fat. They kept going back and forth. The girl decides to come to the studio live, jumps in front of the camera. And she's like, this is the ass that this guy called every day. And then the whole school was watching. Anyway, long story short, she ended up suing the school for $20 million, suing me for $20 million, and suing the kid for $20 million. I ended up going to the Supreme Court of Brooklyn. It got thrown out of court, thankfully. And then there were disclaimers on every show saying that Binghamton television was not responsible for that, but it was the most fun I've ever had in my life. And I'm like, I want to be a talk show host. This is amazing. <laughs> so then I became a comic to become a talk show host. I mean, that, that story is like, that's like a three hour story. But, no, uh, I can, I can, I can <laughs> see how it would be, but I, even though it was the most fun you had, I don't think it was fun for your wallet because you had to hire a lawyer, I assume. No, I, I actually, I, I got, uh, the school gave me a lawyer. I was covered by the school insurance. Thankfully, my dad knew about that kind of stuff. And, 
it, he was like, you know, but he he was like, he go to school for one month, he come home with a twenty million dollar lawsuit, like. Can't just go to class like everyone else. Like, that was not happening. <laughs> yeah, but if you went to school like everybody else, you wouldn't have that great story. Right. And I wouldn't become a comic. Yeah, exactly. So in the early years, once you realized that this is what you wanted to do, what was your first step in terms of making that happen in real life? Uh, I was doing co- I was doing comedy anywhere, everywhere. I would start, I was living in New York City and I was doing comic shows at laundromats and supermarkets and handing out flyers in Times Square to people to try to trick them into coming into a comedy show. It was, it was, it was hell. It was brutal. I was bombing as much as I was doing well, which is not very often. So I was bombing a lot more actually. And, uh, but it was fun. It was, I couldn't believe that this was an actual occupation. Uh, I was having a blast, but, but well, didn't it, you was, ever, it was didn't crazy. You, yeah. But didn't you ever hear of the concept of taking it out of town first and then, I mean, New York is number one or LA is number one, depending on, who you talked to? I didn't have a car. I mean, where, where was I going to go? You know? <laughs> yeah, but I was just thinking, like, just travel to some small little town on the East Coast. I didn't even and... know that was an option. I mean, I, I would have traveled anywhere to do. I, I couldn't believe people were actually gathered to hear me speak. You know, which they really weren't. But the fact that anybody was listening to me was a huge thing. If I got a laugh, it was like a bonus. To be honest, did you record your early shows so you could listen back and see what you did right or wrong? Yeah, it was all wrong, but I was actually <laughs> on a I was on a show called True Life. I'm a comedian on MTV, like a year in doing comedy in laundromats and supermarkets, and then I tried to get into this comedy club, and they failed me. They didn't pass me, and I was like, kind of got embarrassed on national television. But I was just happy I was on television. I didn't like you didn't even look at it that way. I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> People, <laughs> so um, you know, I I just loved it. I, I never like. You know, to see my name on a on a billboard in Vegas is like the greatest thing. I mean, it, to me, I'm just like super thrilled about that. I can't believe how far I've come. I obviously want to come a lot further, and you know, I have a lot more goals and stuff. But well, yeah, you're a hard worker, heard... and, and you're blessed too, by the way, with a very young sounding voice. So you could be doing this till you're 90. Uh, I mean, I got a I got an amazing wife. I have an amazing daughter, and uh, we just we're just we're buying our first house, and you know, I got a comedy special on. UFC.com. I mean, the Dana White goes out and produces my own special, and I'm I'm writing a second one now. You know, so I got a show, another special on Amazon Prime, and then I got you know they, they play my stuff on Sirius Radio. So I, I'm not complaining. I mean, from I have to sometimes look at like the kid that was giving out flyers in Times Square, getting spit on by people and ignored and told to get a job, and you know it was like it was right in Times Square. It was right on Broadway. So all these girls are the college with that like, and people at the college with for like wearing their dresses, going to Broadway shows and working in, you know, Bear Stearns and Goldman Sachs. And I was giving out flyers for a place called Hamburger Harry's <laughs> and, and, you know, so from there to where now it's just like, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I'm obviously have a lot further to go, you know, but I'm just, uh, sometimes I have to take a step back and go, okay, you know, all right, like, this is good. And I think 2021 is going to be great. Uh, I finished 2020 with a comedy special. I'm going to try to get another one this one. I'm trying to sell TV shows this year. And uh, the pandemic has been great as far as I have a two-year-old daughter who we spent more time together than I've ever imagined spending with her. You're absolutely right. That's that's the great part of it. Let's take a break. My guest is comedian Adam Hunter. He's headlining in the Laugh Factory at the Tropicana Las Vegas, February 18th through the 21st. For ticket information, go to troplv.com. And for everything about Adam Hunter, go to adamhunter.com. And you can follow him on Twitter at Adam Comedian and at MMA Roasted, as well as on Instagram at Adam Comedian. We'll be right back. 
We'll be back with more Talk About Las Vegas with Ira in just a moment. There's something new at the Neon Museum. The emerging technology of light mapping brings old signs back to life. Forgotten artifacts of our past that once blazed in the Las Vegas night are reanimated in a dazzling immersion of sight and sound. You've never seen anything like it because there's never been anything like it. Brilliant, a Neon Museum experience. Performances nightly. Join the experience now at neonmuseum.org. Now let's get back to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Welcome back. I'm talking with comedian Adam Hunter. He's headlining in the Laugh Factory at the Tropicana Las Vegas, February 18th through the 21st. For ticket information, go to troplv.com. And for everything about Adam Hunter, go to adamhunter.com. And you can follow him on Twitter at adamcomedian and at mmaroasted, as well as on Instagram at adamcomedian. I was just thinking, Adam, that when you mentioned about working at the laundromat, performing at the laundromat, the best part of it, you got tipped in quarters. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That, and then we had a show at the Krispy Kreme Donut Shop, and then we had a show at the supermarket, where like in front of the checkout line. And if, you did, <laughs> if you did well, you held up the line. Now you're on the Las Vegas Strip. What a combination! <laughs> yeah, that's good. So when you started working comedy, and you didn't know enough to go out of town first because you were already in New York, which is to me very hilarious, but it worked for you because you were tenacious. So did you? pattern yourself after any particular comedian or did you have any comedy mentors at that time i mean i, I watched really good comics at the cellar and stuff like guys like jim norton and godfrey and and like pete corielli and those guys they were colin quinn but i didn't really have any i mean i thought chris rock was the greatest comic and i still think he's one of the greatest comics and i, I like old school comics like dangerfield guys like that i try to tell as many jokes per minute as i possibly can I th- I'm not really a storyteller. I get bored of my own stories. And I, think that, uh, I just like to just, just look kind of like, just, you know, machine gun the set. I just tell as many jokes as possible. I kind of base my comedy on like a Mexican boxer uh, because Mexican boxers are just always entertaining and they just throw thousands of punches. So, so you, uh, you could possibly be the new Henny Youngman. Yeah. I mean that, you know, I think that's what kind of somebody called me that and, I, I think it's an honor. I, I definitely think that, you know, I don't necessarily just, just tell one-liners. I try to, you know, I definitely like tag up my jokes more and, and tell more, more like bits than like Henny did. Henny was brilliant though. I mean, the fact that people even said that is like, I mean, he, he has jokes that will last to the end of time. And I mean, how many people can say that, you know, I think mean, those old school comics are just, they're a different breed. You know, I think that they really, there was before the internet and they really, really honed their skill. I think people that now it's like, there's really good comics now, but it's like, you can't just be a good comic. In a lot of cases, you have to be a good comic and you have to have an Instagram following. You have to be on TikTok. You have to be on Twitter. You have to be on Facebook. You have to be on YouTube. Sometimes you got to do all these things, but comedy uh, doesn't always come first in a lot of cases with a lot of comics. And I think that the older guys, you know, like the, the Richard Pryors or the the guy, the Jack Bennys or the, the guys like the Henny Youngmans. Or even Rodney, where he was doing one line well, after another as well. Yeah, Rodney Rodney's a perfect example of somebody that like I just think is in a, such an amazing comic and you just you just laugh and you laugh and you laugh and you laugh and even if a joke doesn't even work, it's still you still laugh and it's just he just he was just amazing. And uh I would love to even be one day putting that thing, I don't think I ever will be, but I mean, just Dangerfield is so good. 
And even when he did panel on, on talk shows and it was just, it was, it was insane. It was incredible. And you so, had one uh, advantage I, over Henny Youngman is you don't have to carry a violin with you. Yeah, that's always good. Yeah. You, know, always <laughs> you don't want to have any additional props if you don't need to while you're traveling around, especially with a kid at home. You know, I, know I, I right. have extra luggage in that sense. Your philosophy seems to be that I'm going to just keep working and things will eventually happen and you don't get discouraged. And I think that's what we talked about earlier, your tenaciousness and your persistence. Do you find that occasionally you bump into something and it just knocks you down for longer than you would like, or do you immediately get back up and start working again? Yeah, I mean, it's, of course it's happened. I mean, even though I, you mentioned last comic standing, the first three years, I did it. I got to the finals of Vegas, and then it, they, they kicked me off the show before it even started because they picked 50 people but only keep 30. That happened the next year and the next year. You know, um, I, I tried out for the Montreal Comedy Festival, I don't know, five years in a row. I got four callbacks three times, didn't get it. I've been so close on so many occasions to so many roles that would have been great. You know, I've seen so many people kind of surpass where I've been, but you just, I just, I can't afford to look at that because there's always someone looking at me going, Oh, well, how come he's where he is? So it just doesn't, I don't have the time to even focus on that. Like I really don't, I have, I have like a, I have a baby and I have a wife and those are my priorities and a family and I have three cats and a, rabbit and a dog and just <laughs> i just you know i just have too many other issues to, and people to worry about right and myself that i can't start feeling bad for myself because at the end of the day it's like i'm responsible for my own success and no one else is and if i can't if i can't do it it's because i can't do it it's not because someone else made it so that i couldn't do it you know when one door opens you go around the back or you go through the window or one door doesn't open you go through the back of the window you don't sit there and just stand on the on the, the step and go, why isn't the door open? You know, I'm not waiting for somebody to come open the door. So Yeah, luck favors the prepared mind, as they like to say. And in, right. in this case, that fits you. Is your wife supportive of your career? Does she understand you as a comedian? Yeah, I, I, got, I got the most amazing wife ever. She's, she's, she's awesome. She's, she's hardworking. She's beautiful. She's fun. We have a great time together. We just went to Santa Barbara yesterday with the zoo. We took the baby. She's I, I couldn't have asked for a better wife. She puts up with me. <laughs> and your New York, your New York background still is coming through because of the way that you talk and the way that you perform. That's just that energy that comes from, I think, being on the East Coast initially. Yeah, nothing like New York. I mean, New York is like, it doesn't, it, New York doesn't have time to care about people. Like they say, facts don't care about your feelings. Like New York doesn't care about your feelings. Like, we don't, nobody cares. Like New York, it's like, it's just not, if you you know order or leave the line, so that's what, really what New York is. I mentioned earlier, and you mentioned of course now too about being a finalist on season six of Last Comic Standing. Did you feel that that was a breakout aspect for you, or breakout time for you, and that more people saw you than would normally have seen you over the last five years before? Yeah, I think as far as before Last Comic Standing, I was a co-headliner. I was co-headlining. And then after last comic standing, I was headlining. So I, I do think so in a lot of ways that it, it was, it, it was that, uh, you know, getting on national television for eight weeks straight on NBC for an hour, you can't ask for that kind of exposure. So I think doing the tonight show with Leno twice, I felt more, I was more proud of that though, to be honest, because I felt like last comic standing, there were a lot of people that had a lot of opinions and, you know, it kind of became, it was very reality show ish. You know, right. they had us do these things of like read books to the 
play at the Playboy Mansion because the playmates are, you know, let's do a Yo Mama contest in, in a boxing ring. Let's make props with Carrot Top at the bottom of Home Depot. Like, those are all fun things, but I didn't think they had much to do with stand-up comedy. Whereas when I did Leno, it was like, okay, our next comic, and it was a five-minute, you know, set on Leno. So that was the first time I did it, like, Bill Maher was the other guest, and he was laughing really loud. That was awesome because I'm a huge Bill Maher fan. Second time, somebody else was really, really good. So, yeah, that was, it was awesome. It's instant credibility in a sense. Yeah, 100%. And, and I know that comedy clubs, too, they rather say, for example, and now direct, instead of saying, and now direct from the laundromat, it's now direct from the Tonight Show. Here's comedian Adam Hunter. Yes, exactly. Although the, I think the crowd would probably be more impressed with the laundromat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then I'll start throwing quarters up on stage as a, a salute to you yeah. as well. Well, what was the most challenging moment for you performing as a headliner so far? Was it the issue of the guy having a health problem or was it something uh, else? No, I did comedy at a, a wedding one time and they told me to pretend I was the the minister roasting people and they told me to roast everyone at the wedding, but they didn't tell anyone I was a comic and then some guy got really mad and pushed me. That video is available. I remember seeing that and I th- and thinking they didn't they didn't notify I guess the brother. Yeah, yes. It, it's been like everywhere on like world's worst weddings or Ameri- you know, weddings gone wrong. It kinda was all over. So that was probably one of the most challenging because I still, that video was only, it was edited. So there was only three minutes into the, into the set. I still was another, another 40 minutes after that. Oh, and the guy man. pushed me and then the, and then the guy was in the house pacing back and forth, mad at me. And I could see him through the window. And then the grandmother started yelling at me for being too dirty. So that was a pretty challenging experience. There's always challenge. I mean, doing, you know, my special for the UFC where everyone's wearing masks and it was a room of, capacity of 200 but it was like 35 because of covid and having to like deal with that it's it's never easy but the more you put yourselves in terrible situations the easier it gets the more you become comfortable with the uncomfortable yes i think you know that you're going to survive and you and it's better that you be tested that way because otherwise if something happens in a more in a larger venue, so to speak, you might get thrown, but if you've already been exposed to a lot of these little things that happen in life and in performance, that you're able to then rise to the occasion. 1,000%. I mean, I have had menus thrown in my head. I have cake thrown at me. I've had people follow me, uh, wanting to fight me. People jump on stage trying to fight me. I've had, you know, I did cruise ships. I got, I got heckled by parents on a G-rated show, and a guy, a parent charged the stage. I mean, it's just, I could go on for like, I've had like, you know, I had Zoom shows. Where I got heckled by a 10 year old, pulled her mom's on me. I mean, it's, it's I'm, never, sorry, it's I'm sorry, I'm laughing. I'm sorry, I'm laughing, but it's just, it's, it wasn't happening to me, so I guess I could laugh. But yeah, I, I see what oh, you're saying. Oh, I've had the crowd, like, yeah. I, I got, I've had, I went on a crowd one time, went on the wrong ship to do a, a late night prom, and it was all deaf people. Luckily, the ship hadn't left yet. Uh, you know, I mean, I've had just all the, the just, you name it. I've had the crowd not speak English. Uh, I've had people cry during sets. It just, it just never ends. But you know, you just, you just laugh, and those are the, those are the experiences that make you strong. They do. They do indeed. Or, or force you to quit. But, <laughs> In your case, you yourself. didn't, which is fortunate that you didn't quit. So that's a great way to yeah. leave it. My guest has been comedian Adam Hunter. He's headlining at the Laugh Factory at the Tropicana, Las Vegas. February 18th through the 21st. For taking information, go to troplv.com. 
For everything about Adam Hunter, go to adamhunter.com and follow him on Twitter at adamcomedian and at mmaroasted, as well as on Instagram at adamcomedian. Adam, thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. See you next time. You've been listening to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. Yeah.